Dave's Five Hot Takes, yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another interview edition of Dave's Five Hot Takes. So glad you guys are back, uh, ringing a bell while the fly girls yell, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, in living color, anybody? So this um, this week is really fun, because this is this is a sister from a different mister. This is one of my dearest friends in Nashville, uh, Lucy Silvis. Lucy is artist with a capital A, and that's the best compliment I can give. She is so creative. She's an incredible songwriter, incredible singer, incredible piano player. And if you get to see her live, she will blow your mind. She's such an insanely good performer. But even better than that, she's one of my favorite people. She's one of the best human beings that I know. She and her husband, John, are two of my favorite people in the world. Um, just to brag on her a little bit, and we talk about this more in the in the interview, so I'm going to try not to give too much away, but she was raised in New Zealand before they moved to London, her family moved to London, and there she kind of cut her teeth in the English music scene. Before she got her deal, she sang backup for people, uh, which is really fun to hear tell these stories. Um, but she's also, when she moved to Nashville later uh, in, in life, she has now written for Miranda Lambert, Kelly Clarkson, Trisha Yearwood. I don't know if you've heard of those new acts here in Nashville. Uh, but Lucy has this sort of incredible magnetic quality to her that when you meet her, you just kind of like... You just sort of love her. She's just the best. And one of the coolest stories that I saw coming out of music in the last couple of years is that um, Brandy Carlisle, who I love and have done shows with myself, uh, met Lucy, just fell in love with her and did this really cool thing where she basically said, Lucy, I want to open some shows for you. And she did this with some other artists, too, to just help expose people to um, some of her friends like Lucy and Lucy did a couple of these shows where literally Brandy would come out and do, you know, a set and then she'd give the stage to Lucy, uh, which man props to Brandy. I could get choked up thinking about that kind of benevolence, but, uh, that's just how Lucy is. If you ever meet her or see her or get to see her, please try to get to talk to her. Cause she's one of the best people in the world. But again, she's phenomenally talented, phenomenally talented. It says she's had songs in over 14 TV shows, um, she's just, it's amazing. She's just, she's getting it done. She's doing her thing and her albums are incredible. If you get a chance to listen to her music, it is incredible. So I'm so excited to, uh, share this fun conversation with her and some of her hysterical hot takes <laughs> and stories. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Lucy Silvis. Here we are again on Dave's five hot takes. And this is, this is a joy for me. I've been looking forward to this episode uh, for a long time. This is one of my dearest friends in the world. She's maybe one of the most uh, talented people that I know. She's one of the most benevolent people. I just said benevolent. Benevolent. Yeah. That's such a wonderful word to start the day. Thank you. Um, I knew you'd like that. That's why I said it. Um, and she's just an incredible singer-songwriter. Uh, Lucy Silvis, everybody. Hello. That's a very sweet intro. Thank you, Dave. I'm, I'm going to do like a pro intro before this, so that's when you're going to hear it, and I'm going to just gush and gush. Oh, it's going to no. be 30 minutes long in well, different languages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be... Uh, Make sure Portuguese is in there. Yes, yes, it's well, very complicated. It language. is very complicated. It yeah. feels like a train wreck of other languages. Uh, they've like, just uh, mashed it all together because they, they couldn't decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't. Can um, you how are you doing? Can you hear a lawnmower? Life. Yeah, life is really good. Can you hear that lawnmower? Yeah, you, that's exciting. It just means people are working. We support that. I don't know if it's in our yard. It's definitely not in our yard. Anyway, I'm good. I'm really good. <laughs> I like good. that you I'm, don't know if it's true. I don't know. It's like, well, because there's lots of, we're surrounded. There's like lots of, we're in a You're surrounded really, by lawns. We're surrounded by a lot of grass, you know, which is mm. nice because you want to be. Uh, you want to be amidst nature, you know. Anyway, mm. uh, That's I'm, where your I'm good, from. but I'm better for seeing you. I literally feel like 
I haven't seen you in probably a decade. Yeah, um, it feels that way. As you can see, you know, we've we've picked up some nice habits of being really tidy people. You <laughs> so know, people can't the see. So here's, the good, orders, here's like, the good thing about this, that we do this through Squadcast. Shout out to Squadcast. So you and I can see each other, but thankfully people can't see us because this isn't recorded video was. So they, the good thing about you and I right now, Luce, is that we can look like whatever. And you can look, I mean, I don't, I don't think it looks like a horror child, but I'm, I'm on the border of worrying about you, but I'm not worrying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm right on the cusp of, is everything okay with you guys? You know, like asking that question in a very sincere way, but at least everybody listening can't see that. <laughs> you know, when someone doesn't vocalize that when they're worried about you, when they sort of, get, there's that look on their face with it, like, should I be concerned? Is or It's like a slight squint. Just a little of. squint and you're like, okay, it's that kind of like, I haven't got something on my face, but there's something on my face that they think could be something. Or there's it's, something in my life. There's Okay, so Lucy, so so you know, y- yours is a pretty fascinating story. Um, because you know, you you're you're from England. You 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 were born uh on Kingston upon Thames. It sounds like Game of Thrones, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. It's very exciting, especially <laughs> to an American like me, because anything upon anything is so exciting. <laughs> Um, make we don't sense. have we don't have adjectives uh, that describe where we live in, in, uh, <laughs> in America. That's so true. But, I hadn't even thought about it like so, that. So, so you were there because your story is so fascinating. So you're you're you you spent you lived in England, but you also lived in New Zealand, and you've lived a bunch of places. Yes, but you were yeah. born in England. I was, yes, I was okay. born as you said in Kingston upon Thames, which I always I do love that expression because it feels like you were born on a houseboat. Sort of like you know, <laughs> on the on the Thames. on the Thames, but it's such a cool regal way to say it. But um, yes, I was born there. My parents, even before I was born, had travelled everywhere. They'd live in in Kenya. They'd mm. lived in Australia. Um, my mum's Scottish. My dad's English. And my sister, actually Mia, uh, two months after she was born, they took her and moved to the Seychelles. Um, they were just trapped. They, I don't know. Wait, it was I like, don't know what that is. Tell me what so that is. An island. So it's basically an island. Uh, it, I think it's. I'm, this geography is going to be awful by me, but it feels like Indian Ocean. Okay, but I could be very wrong about that, okay. and somebody correct me on my awful geography. But so what? What is that about? There, there. So is it just wanderlust? Um, it was my dad's, a mixture of my dad's job and, you know, my dad's always been, I don't know. It's like, maybe this is where I get it from, but my dad is sort of, I don't get my logic from him. That's for sure. I don't have any logic, but he is a very sort of logical, pragmatic person, but he's also a big risk taker. He's, he's always sort of. So you can present him with an idea that seems utterly bonkers. And I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but he will pursue it mm. to try it. And I've always admired that about him. And I feel like that's what took him to all those places because he got wow. offered these opportunities. And some of them were short-lived and some of them, I mean, the, the amazing part about it is he took an entire family with him on these expeditions. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because it's not like he was a lone wolf that just decided. He married a woman who grew up in a very sort of strict and structured family. And yet she kind of just jumped on and went yeah. to all these places with him. And then he took his kids with him when we were all born. So I feel like one of the things that I always get so envious about with my friends who are from Europe is that it just feels like um, – 
if you're from Europe, you just see the you see that part of the world. It's like, yeah, you can go anywhere at any time. Let's go live in Spain. Let's get, take a weekend in France. Let's go right. to where mm-hmm. in, in America, because it's such a big landmass, you do look at America and go, hey, we could go to uh, Arizona for a week or, you know, but it's yeah. just you don't see the world as a playground where I think Europeans have such a they do such a good job of going like, hey, let's pop over to Portugal to surf for three days yeah. and then we'll fly back home to London. You know, it, it just feels like. You know, my friends who who are English, like, you know, follow the like on Instagram and they're popping up all over that part of the world because you can. Right. You know, exactly. and it doesn't feel because to me it feels like, whoa, that's risky. You know, like you're traveling so the world when it's like borders. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's crossing right. Borders can hear your one huge country that has feels like you've got places all over Europe within one place. So it's like you go to Colorado, you get something, you go to Oregon, you get something, you go to upstate New York, or you go, you know, right up to the top past, you know, uh, Martha's Vineyard and all that stuff. You've, and, and Louisiana, it's, right. it, it feels like you're in, you know, 50 different countries. It's, it's quite incredible. And I understand, I mean, I haven't even, I've gotten to tour a lot now in America and I haven't even touched the surface of, of the places that I want to see in the States. Yeah. But you're right, Europe, it used to be, you know, it's a train ride. You train ride to Paris, a train ride, yeah. to, uh, you know, you can take a train under the English Channel to, to, to Calais and then you drive to Holland or you drive Crazy. to Belgium. And it is amazing. It feels, it, it it's, it's exciting. I'll still mm. see it as exciting, even mm. though they've made it really easy now that you can do that. But yeah. But, you know, I think it's something that everyone should experience, obviously, when we're not in a huge global pandemic. Yeah, but but- so, so do you feel like w- growing up that way? I'm always fascinated about this musically, like, you know, because, um, I mean, would you call your pa- I mean, th- they're not professional musicians, but I mean, would you call them musical people? Uh, to an extent, yes. We're definitely in a musical family. They never did it. Perf- well, my mom, when she was 17, 18, was in a band and she played bass, which blows my mind. Oh my I'm gosh, like, I, I never saw her pick up a bass in my life. She's actually an amazing singer. She's got a beautiful voice. And she was very much into... They had a very impressive record collection. And my mom was into Nat King Cole, Judy Garland. She was into Gene Kelly and all his movies. And so I was into all those sort of crooners, Tony Bennett. I still get, I remember seeing Tony Bennett across sort of like an event that we were at. And uh, I saw him and out of everybody in the room, I was completely starstruck. I was like, wanted to say hello, but John was like, go say hi. I was like, I can't. I was like (laughs) so starstruck by Tony Bennett. And um and my dad was all about the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the Jackson mm. Five and Roy Orbison and you know and Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and all that kind of stuff and the Carpenters. I think I must mm. know every Carpenter song. There you know is. what's crazy about you too, Luz? Is like I, I feel like as you name those artists, I can. I know this sounds crazy, but I really feel like I can hear them and how you from everybody. Like you said, Judy Garland and. Right? Didn't you say Judy? Yeah, Garland? Judy Garland. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but like Julie Garland all the way to Tony Bennett to to the Carpenters, to the Beach Boys. And it's funny because knowing you so well, knowing your music so well, I can actually, and Roy Orbison, like I can hear those oh, people man. in your singing, which is crazy to think about. So, Thank so, you. so when did the bug? So, you grew up mostly in England, right? You were there for kind of formative years. I, a, well, so we, well, I grew up, um, and, when I was when I was eight years old, we went to New Zealand. So right, so that's sure. the crazy part. I have a huge family on my dad's side. Uh, two brothers married two sisters. So if you imagine it, one of the couples went to New Zealand, 
and one went to England. So there's there's my family, all the same last name in England and New Zealand. So my dad grew up in partly Australia and New Zealand, and his dad grew up in New Zealand just for part oh, of his wow. childhood. But they, they weren't born there. It was my dad's, the other side of the family in New Zealand, obviously all New Zealand natives. But um, So we moved there, and I spent my early school years there. My sisters spent sort of some of their teenage years yet, which felt much more, you know, that kind of got ingrained into them. And I don't think it ever left them, but we did Mm. come back to England. We, we ran into some real, um, you know, family financial struggle. It was really hard. This is another thing that's been a huge influence in my life. My dad, you know, we didn't grow up wanting for anything. We weren't like a wealthy family, but we didn't grow up with nothing either. But there was one stage where we lost everything, had to come back to England. And if you think about, this is kind of a boring detail, but the exchange rate between New Zealand and England, if you have, you know, a pound, it's $3 in New Zealand. Imagine going the other way when you've lost everything. So we came back and, and my dad, when I look back at it now, it took him probably a decade to get us back on our feet, but he did. We lived with cousins and friends and were separated as a family. But New Zealand was like, I can just remember total joy living there. We mm. didn't, I didn't have any music around. I had maybe school productions, mm. but it was a very joyful place to grow up as a kid. It was very laid back, very, very, very laid back. I think that influenced me a lot. For those people who have not been, which a lot of people haven't been to New Zealand. I mean, it's, it's so far away from the States. Yeah. Um, it is, Annie and I had the chance to go to the South Island and we were there for about a week and it is I've never been anywhere prettier and I've never, I, we called it God's greatest hits. It was like, uh-huh. it just felt like on one Island you had beautiful mountains to gorgeous sea, to plains, yeah. to rivers, to, you know, it just felt like everything that you could sort of do as a highlight of a earth or a water feature. You'd come over some mountain pass into just like, you know, it looks Ocean. like, I mean, I hate to say this, but it looks like Lord of the Rings. That's where they, you know, it does. The and the world it's- shot there. And yeah, absolutely. And it's like America when you think about surf to ski, but put on a tiny little island, tiny, two tiny, tiny little islands, which tiny. have maybe, you know, max of 4 million people. And it's, you know, it's a volcanic island. Yep. So you see all those, you know, some active, but some dormant, like Hawaii, it's like those dormant volcanoes mm-hmm. and you feel like you're right in the thick of what could be a natural disaster at any minute, but right. you're, you're lit, that kind of makes you feel more alive because of right. that. Right, right, which um, is like going to one of my shows. Do you, um, <laughs> do you, do you, so, so when does the bug happen? Because, you know, I, I, some of my favorite pictures of you are, are of you and John Green, you know, in England oh and the goodness. various iterations of bands or cover bands you guys were in. Um, and if you, if you guys, you know, listen or hear the James Bay episode, we talk about John a lot, but, but, uh, you know, so when, when does the bug, is that sort of when you get back to England that you really start to lean into this and when, and when could you sing? Like when that's sort of a dual question, but were those at the same time? Was that something that sort of one made the other, you know? I th- I don't remember a specific time. I just remember always singing. And I'm sure a lot of singers and musicians would say that, that they can't see a sort of tipping point. But um, there was always music in my house. My sisters sing. My dad sings. It was constant singing around me since two years old. So I remember, you know, being 
in ink back in England. I was four years old. We had a piano. I played the piano. I wasn't good at it, but we played it and we were encouraged mm. all the time. And wow. I think my, my parents' parents were musical and it went back. You know, my grandma used to sing in church on my Scottish side. And then my other, you know, the Jewish side, they were very much into their music. And, and, mm. um, and so it's, I think it, it was encouraged, but it wasn't until I kind of came I was very late to the table. I hear of kids, especially these days, starting at 13 years old, starting to make a record. I'm like, oh, my, you know, I didn't have any musical experiences till I was about 16. But I did go on stage, I think, at 10 years old. I was at some holiday with my parents and I got up on stage and it was one of those you know, all family inclusive holidays. And I got up on stage and sung a Whitney Houston song. And if, I mean, I know what my voice was like. It was, it was very, I mean, it would hurt your ears now, but it, at the time it probably seemed like a big voice for a 10 year old, you know? So, so, cause this is the thing. I mean, I'm sorry about the lawnmower. Oh my God. I I was, I thought that was like a concert for a second. I was like, is somebody like like, a chainsaw or a concert? It's East Nashville. Who knows what's happening? um, No, but the thing about you, Lucy, is you are, and I tell you this all the time, but you are without a doubt, one of the greatest singers that I know, like that's too, 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 you know, you you are such an incredible. So did you have a point when either yourself or someone in your circle went, wow, like you can really, like you, you have a really good voice. Like, what was that? Was it just that you had sung so long, everybody was used to you singing well, and then you just started to do your artist thing? Or, you know, do you have like a moment where you were like, wow, okay. I could do this maybe? I had, I mean, I used to watch, you know, Aretha Franklin and, and Whitney and all those people on stage and, and see as singers, it was just, it felt so liberating. I, you know, it's funny to find, to know why you look at something and feel like you want to be mm. there. Like I always loved the idea of being on stage, but I was quite a shy kid other than that. I wasn't real extroverted in a classroom or in a room. Um, I didn't mind having attention on me, but I didn't necessarily seek it. You know, I wasn't the funny person or the extroverted person, but stage seemed to me like another world. Like literally if you step on stage, you're in another universe. Mm. And, but the first time I think anyone ever gave me an opening to think I could do it for a career was for real. I mean, beyond dreams was I met a friend called Annie at college. I think I was just turning 17 her dad had a studio in the back of his yard and his wife happened to be the singer called Judy Zook, an amazing singer songwriter oh, wow. who had had, you know, a couple of hits and was, a, is to this day, the most, one of the most prolific songwriters I've ever heard. She ne- didn't necessarily achieve the fame of someone like Joni Mitchell, but to me, she was of that caliber. She was, wow. and, um, I went to the bed and, and Annie said, will you sing my dad a song? And I was so shy about it. I was like, well, and he said, do you write songs? I said, yeah, but you know, they're not very good. And like, I, I'm not a really great musician. I just write my own songs. He said, play me one. And he said some things about my voice that even I didn't understand. He said, you've, you've got something of your own. I know, I see, I hear your influences, but you do have something of your own in there and you should just keep writing these songs. And wow. he started to help me record them. And that was when I was 17. That was the first time that I'd ever experienced being in a studio or thought, oh, wow, this is the door suddenly opened. 
Yeah. Did did and and when what you did you you got your first deal at 23, is that right? I was actually 20 when I got my first deal. 20 2021, I think. It was okay. to EMI. Yeah. It was I'd been a backing singer for Gary Barlow who was in uh, Oh my gosh. That. Can uh, I say something yeah. really quick? Yes. I need to, I need to, you can I just say many things. Get, well, thank, you. Yes. thank you. Up to, <laughs> up to six, but no more. Um, so here's one of my six. I got lost in a take that Gary Barlow YouTube cyclone about two weeks ago <laughs> and I couldn't get out. It was like, I literally looked up at the clock and I realized that for, for about an hour I had gotten into this take that. Because to me, listen, I will fight anybody on this. One of my favorite songs of all time is uh, Won't You Back? Or, uh, won't back you for back? Good. Back, back for Good. good. Amazing that song, song is, and it sort of blew my mind because Gary wrote that by himself. I he think did. he produced it. I mean, yeah. and those anomalies, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, but I am super fascinated by those moments where it's like you see something that looks like one thing and then you do a little dig and realize like, oh no, that guy's actually... Yeah. Like he's not just a pretty face. Like this guy's got real talent. He you know? really has. And he has a fascinating story. I mean, talk about someone who's carved out a career for their pretty much entire life. Yeah. He was in this boy band, which I, I really can't remember how he became part of Take That or how that came about, whether it was, you know, a band being put together. It was a big, you know, pop machine that they were yeah. the part of. Because they um, were massive, right? Massive, I mean, they, they, they had, yeah. that was a hit in the States, but they weren't, it wasn't a band you thought of but but the rest of the world they were they were huge in europe huge probably in japan and you know all of asia and everything and they were a huge band they had a lot of hits and then um i think they they you know disbanded and and gary went on a solo career and i got i met him by total chance i was sitting in the car with a keyboard player friend of mine and this guy comes running out to the car saying hey can you sing and dance i was like i don't know about the dancing part but yeah (laughs) I was like, yeah, just my job is just say yes to things. And he was like, can you come inside and fill in for somebody? I walk in this enormous rehearsal room. Well, hold on back up. Why were you, were you, had you just practiced there? I was just with my friend and a keyboard player. He was playing in the back. Sorry, I missed that part. So the keyboard player was playing with Gary. He was part of the band and it was called Richard. And, um, I was with him in the car and he, this guy comes running out and, um, and he asked me to fill in. I walk into this huge rehearsal room. There's this huge band, huge production set up. And then Gary Barlow walks in. Are you, like, are, are you, sorry, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Are you starstruck? Oh, completely. Because okay, this okay. guy is so famous. Yeah, right. And so, and I hadn't had any experience in the music industry. I'd been recording in a, in a studio, my own songs. I hadn't met anybody. And that's the thing about Nashville that's so different that we might take for granted here is that, I didn't, I didn't know any other artists coming up. I didn't, even after I met Gary and spent time with him, I didn't know anybody that could show me what this world is, you know, of music. Did you, did you, were you living in London at the time? I was living in Surrey. Yeah. I was living in London and I was going to college with my friend Annie. And and you're still in college. Okay. It's just college. Yeah. I was, well, I I actually know. So I must've left by then. I was 19, I think when I met Gary. Okay. And um, so I toured, but so, you know, I did that day in the, in the rehearsal room and he asked me to stay. And I got to think if I'm (laughs) great and this random girl walks in and she starts singing, you're like, I have just hit. The mother load. How did we find this girl in an alley in London <laughs> that seems like this? I mean, I don't think he really, you know, there was two of us girls. I don't think he was really um, 
necessarily knew much about me at first, but the more time we spent together, we traveled everywhere. We went all over Europe. It was part of his solo career. He was, we were doing TV show. I was thrown into this world that I was kind of giggling to myself going, nobody knows that I am winging this. Like <laughs> I've got no experience. I can't do any of these movies. Did you know the songs? Yes, I knew. Well, I had okay. to learn them. So, right. but there were his new solo project. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And it was something very different musically to what I was doing, but I was having so much fun. And then he one day was sitting on a plane. He said, Do you write songs? I said, Yeah. He said, Will you play me one? And so I handed him my iPod. Yes. Um, <laughs> were these the songs you recorded in that back, in that back, in that backyard? Yeah, it was in the oh, studio. Wow. So okay. the timing of it was pretty magic because all this stuff was colliding and I played it to him. It was a sort of a gospel song that I'd written. And um, he, he was saying to me, there's really something here. He introduced me to his manager at the time and I ended up signing on to her. Oh, wow. She walked into EMI saying, here here we are. This is a, a ballad. She's playing the piano and writing the song. And they signed me the next day. And this is stuff you hear in movies. I mean, you think yeah. this doesn't happen. And it did. And But but the hard part was that that deal was my first ever record deal. And that kind of was a very, very spirally story. It was. It well, was- and you know, and, and for those who are listening, this is what's crazy. And this is these are the stories you love because – you know, this really happens. Like you'll have yeah. a powerhouse artist who has a lot of clout. Yeah. You know, people respect yeah. him or her. Um, and they can really take someone into a record label yeah. and go, Hey, my record label, yeah. I like this person. Yeah. You should sign him. And I mean, th- there's a lot of those stories where people, yeah. It's crazy to think about, but that really is how things happen sometimes. In the sometimes record. it does. I mean, he advocated for me. I think it, we had a huge full circle moment because fast forward to years later when I'd been signed to EMI, got dropped from EMI, that deal was a bit of a disaster. I was 22 years old at that time thinking my career could be over at 22 when you've had such little experience. It's kind of devastating because you think – well, you only get one record deal in your life, right? right I didn't right. know any better than that. And then, um, you know, I was singing in this little jazz club called the Cashmere Club in London, playing the piano. Oh, I love that. I didn't yeah. know this. It was like Tony Moore and he was, you know, he he was such a, a cheerleader for artists that were unknown trying to showcase them. It was the first time I'd seen this club where I could just go play piano. It didn't matter that no one knew me. Everybody was celebrated in that room. And... um this, you know, young A&R guy from Universal Music walked in and I think it was six months before I agreed to go and meet with his boss because I was like, there is no way I'm going near a record label again. I was terrified. I'd gone burned burned so bad. And um, I went to meet with his boss the day that the head of the label was listening to a song of mine. It was probably Lucian Grange at the time. He was listening to a song of mine. Gary Barlow, this is years after I'd been his backing singer. He was writing lots of hit songs for other artists. He had his whole setup going before even Take That Got Back Together again. Um, he walks into the office and I, I was told this story and he, and he said, that's Lucy singing. And, and he, the guy said, oh yeah, this is, you know, there's kind of a couple of artists on this label that we're trying to figure out, you know, what to do with, you know, I'm probably misquoting these things, but Gary said, yeah, this is, this is Lucy. She's, and praised me to him. And I was in the guy's office, like maybe a week later. It's in that, I mean, same, same guy, two different labels. 
two different labels and and I signed a universal and that's when my kind of career began with my first record but it was a crazy set of events and that's why you know in this business that you know you've always got to have faith in what you love to do and keep doing it because the only way you stop is if you quit because mm. these things are timing you know even we know even when people hear songs it's just the time it lands on their lap You've never you know, and, and, and I think too, it speaks to, and I mean, Lucy, you and John, your husband are two are like shining stars for this in our community in Nashville. But mm-hmm. it also speaks to, again, here's this word again, but benevolence, you know, this idea that like we're a community, you know, yeah. and there's so much talent that isn't known, not because they're not talented, just because there's, they're, they're out there on the edges and they're young and they're new and nobody yeah. knows about them. And so, you know, so much of my career and I love hearing this part of your story, but so much of my careers was built on these sort of like people that had success going, Hey, you guys need to check this guy out. And I think it's so cool when you see a guy like Gary, who's had so much success, Yeah, you know, that's vetting for you and pushing for you. And that's a huge thing. And that's a, that's a very valuable commodity in our industry. And it you is, see that a lot, yeah. you know, where people champion, artists and really go, Hey, you guys need to check this guy. You need to check this girl out, you know, this band, whatever. Um, so, so, so that's what you do. That's, I mean, that's the amazing thing about you. You've always been that artist that is like, please look at my friends, look at what I love to surround myself with. You're one of those artists, which is huge in this town. So, I mean, I hope, I hope you know that about yourself. Well, you know what it is though? I think when it's affected you so much, it's just hard not to be the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's such yeah. a big part of my story that it's just a natural, it's just a natural response. Cause I just, saw, I was so deeply affected by people's kindness. I'm like, why would I not, you know, keep sure. that going? So, yeah. so question, a couple more questions and we're going to get into the hot takes. So, so okay. rewind. Um, Cause I asked James Bay about this too, because I, you know, I'm not from there. I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with England and especially London, but um what so did so it sounds like did you have a season in your career it sounds like this with the with the club you're just talking about where but but because Gary had met you so early did you have a season where you were like out gigging a bunch before I, before the record stuff before the record stuff see this is the strange thing and this is this is the part that is very interesting in an artist's journey is that after i did all this you know you're young you sign a record deal you get dropped then you go back to basics of performing and small clubs some places that you know really have you grow as a performer as a musician as a songwriter and then i got signed to a record label and then it's like boom you're, yeah. you're put on these tours. Like I got to open for Jamie Cullum and Macy Gray at the time. This is, we're going yeah. way back. And um, a British artist called Will Young. And um, I was doing these shows. And then <clears throat> all of a sudden, you know, even just as my record came out, I'm performing at Shepherd's Bush Empire by myself. Jeez, and it's, yeah. that is incredible. And it was incredible at the time. And I would never change it. But I didn't have enough experience you know, touring around like so, like I've had in America now. I came yeah. to America and started again. I now know what it's like to really try and grow who your audience is. Because if you're suddenly put on a platform um, that gives you a, a bigger audience, it's almost like you haven't really worked for that audience. You haven't right, started right. from the bottom. They haven't grown with you. They suddenly appear. And I never really understood why. It's not that I didn't enjoy the music I made. It's just that it didn't make sense to me. And looking back, I understand why it didn't. 
you know. And I think sometimes what's scary about that is that as easy as they come is as easy as they'll go fan wise. And when you don't have a chance to really build a groundswell of people who are like, every time you come to the city, we're coming because we love Lucy Silvis. Absolutely. You know, you can only do that in an authentic way. And it's like it's it like you said, it can it can if you go up quick, you can go down quick. And there's there's it's something you want to steady long career for your entire life so you can make the music you love you know right. that's what I so, so then then fast forward and then we'll jump in you you moved to america i mean this yeah. is a that's a big move i mean and, and i think too that and especially to your story and i think this is really important you know you you you, you had had success in england i mean you know like you're you'd played a lot of shows and people know who you were and and you know you decide to to transplant your career across the pond, as you will, to a whole other country right. um, that wasn't familiar with you yet. I mean, that's a big move. And yet, and what I love about that is now knowing a little bit more about your story, there's a little bit of a pedigree there. So, I mean, I, I would imagine built into you is this sort of like, well, I've moved a bunch. This isn't where a lot of people might see that as like, yeah. but you know, you've got a little, you know, you're sort of tempered for it probably more than most, sure. but that's a big big deal. What, what tell me how you got there what what sort it of- was it was gradual I mean it wasn't like I packed up one day and just went now I live in Nashville also there's a such a process behind all of it uh you yeah, know right, to, right. to move countries but on a sort of personal level it took me a couple of I'd ke- I'd kept coming back and forth I visited you know firstly with John Green who you mentioned earlier you know my best friend since we were 14 years old he was coming to Nashville was in love with it it was a very different Nashville obviously in 2007 yeah. um but I was blown away by it. I think I craved the simplicity I'd been in this sort of pop machine in England and I'd had some incredible experiences and when I look back now I'm like wow you know can't believe I got to do that and got to tour and um release records and you know, do all these things. But I was at a tough time in my life personally. So when I came to Nashville for the first time, saw all these singer songwriters, the immense pool of talent and such kindness and such openness and like come in and and have a look at what we've got here and open arms. And I was blown away by it. And it felt like it felt simpler to me. And it, it, it was just, I didn't have any expectations from it. I didn't have any goals or plans. I just was in love with it. And I kept coming back. I even came back for a stint of nine months where I lived with my friend Cree Harrison. We got an apartment together and I, you know, it took me a while to move to Nashville and make up my mind. I was going to be here. I met John in that time, um, my husband, and it was very difficult for us. Cause I was like, well, how are we going to have a relationship if I'm not in, if we're not in the same country. And so part of it was really that I wanted to give that a real shot. I wanted us to have a chance to be together. And I really had no clue. I'm like, I'm not a country artist. I love country music. What I'm learning about it, I grew up with like old traditional country, but this industry is very different in everything that it encompasses. And so I was not sure what I could bring to the table. I'm like, you guys don't need me. You've got the most amazing songwriters in the world. And I was encouraged so much by the people around me to just bring what I had to the table that was of my own and listen and learn and just create something new for myself. And um, it was a big move. It is still a big move because sometimes I feel very, very British and I'm like, I had to feel sometimes out of place. Um, And then 
I realize how far away my family are, even though they're all in New Zealand. Um, and some things about you, you just grew up, you're, you're, it's your temperament. It's the way you think, it's the way you speak. It's the way you, the way you look at things is very different. And I would never live back in England. I, I can't see myself doing that. Um, even though I love it and I miss it in so many ways, I feel quite in bed, you know, I'm very, embedded in American culture now and in my American life, you know what I mean? And my family, yeah. my Osborne family are here. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a scary thing, but I, I'm proud of doing it. Um, but well, you know, honestly uh, in this town, I see artists move here. They're so young. They have so much courage. I had a lot of support very early on from people like Cree and John and TJ and those people. And I often have to push myself to, to try and be more courageous because I don't want to feel like I'm in a safety net because I have my family here now. I still want to be an individual and still make right. my own decisions and make my own path. Well, I think you're doing that very well. And I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that you live here. What, well, thank what, you. what you bring to this, uh, not just your talent, but again, you guys are just, the, like the greatest um well thank you and also it's st it started the whole episode of me stalking you as an artist you know, <laughs> you know that was another that's a, we, we don't have to go down that branch but let's be real here oh my <laughs> anyone God. who's listening knows that I, i've always been a massive dave Barnes fan and you know king billy the band that john used yep. to be in used to blare your music and that's how i first heard you from them and charlie warsham and it's just i was like who is this guy and the first time i met you i was completely trying to hold it together underwhelmed completely <laughs> underwhelmed no. You better, no way that's the same guy no. so, so okay so let's let's do this let's okay. get into the five hot takes you okay. ready okay yes all right what's I'm your ready. first hot take let's hear it. hot take one okay so key changes in a song oh. you know i know you love a key change this is the mother of all key changes chain reaction by diana ross written by the bgs there's eight key changes no way and it's like you listen to it nowadays, you know, the most recent song, like Beyonce, Love on Top, you hear those key changes. But yes, yeah, this is up. the mother load of key changes and it keeps going up and you hear the Bee Gees are on backing vocals on the song. And it's like, I just remember the video for that song with Diana Ross. She was in this kind of mermaid shape tight dress and her hair's like this beautiful flowing, uh, you know, curls, you know, massive hair. And she's, you know... It keeps changing key and it keeps going up and it's like and Barry Gibbs voice is going into the stratosphere you're like can he sing a higher note we already know he can sing high and it's just the most amazing I still think it's one of the greatest pop songs ever written you know and, and you bring up a great point because I think for those who don't know that song you you probably do know Love on Top and that's exactly what Beyonce does yeah, at keeps the end of that song your point yeah. it's, it's, it keeps changing keys keeps changing. And, 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 and again eight key changes eight that no is less. you have almost started over exactly and it's not it's not like yeah it's like keeps you know the modulations keep going it's not like crazy key changes like we have you know and you know like the beach boys you have you know wouldn't it be nice it starts in a certain key and then changes for the first verse and never goes back to the original key that it started yeah. in it's like well that's a real crazy twisty fries key change isn't that yeah i've talked about it on uh Stevie Wonder does that on my Sharia more. Uh, oh my god, my and favorite. And he comes back. Stevie he does Wonder come song. back, but 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 literally in the first. My Sharia more twenty as a summer day. 
it's amazing actually that's a great one because i mean that is truly when i hear that song something triggers me from childhood because i i hear i love it so much yeah i think when i went to see him live i cried throughout that song oh my gosh it is so and those are the clever things where they make it sound so seamless that's right and you know so will you speak because you know kevin so i had kevin griffin on okg crazy kg and this was one of his hot takes was key changes And he just said, like, what happened to the key change? So can you speak to what? Why do you think that that's kind of becoming and it's not gone away? They're going to people listen to this. They're going to be furious. Like, there's no you just don't listen to right music. But I think globally on a pop sense, because I know there's amazing key changes and sort of like other genres and but, but, but top 40 key changes. It's pretty rare. Like, why do you think that is? I think that people are afraid of thinking that it will complicate a song people are all about especially in pop music i feel like let's keep it simple whether it's a rap or a b or a pop you know like you say top 40 it's keep it simple it's all about the rhythm and the melodies and you know that lyric that pops out they're not really interested in and then you get you do get those bands like Half Alive or you get, you know, and your music as well. And it's like there are some really interesting changes musically. Um, but I think, you know, for – I mean, you even hear on Billie Eilish's album, there's some crazy chords going on in there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Notes, and it's, it's really exciting to hear that because – it's innovative and it's inventive. And um, I think that that's when an artist really st- stands out when you see all the key components in there, but you don't realize it because it's presented in such a malleable, a simple way. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I think people just want, you know, and sometimes in something that, you know, record labels want it to be simple. They want it to be easy, an easy sell, you know, and that, sometimes can take away from the integrity of the music, you know, not you know, always, I, but sometimes. And I, th- I think, I think too, and I, I wonder if you'll agree with this, I think, and we talked about this a little bit on the other one with Kevin, but I think too, it's like what you listen to so informs what you create. Yeah. And I think if, as that little window gets smaller and smaller then what's informing the younger singer songwriters or, or they're not hearing key changes, they don't write key changes. Right. You know, and yeah. I think what was happening in the 60s, 70s, it was just so musical and every, you know, all 12 notes could be used. Yeah. You know, that, that's one of the craziest things. Too. I need to do a, a hot take on this, but, you know, in Paul Simon's um, uh, Still Crazy After All These Years, every key is represented. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because the bridge wow, covers so yes. many, and so you know it's 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 crazy, or it's something like that. It's it's really it, the amount of keys he has in that one song is nuts. But anyway, um, I think there is something about what we you know if we're not hearing key changes, you're not going to write them. And so I think sadly right. it just keeps that natural effect of getting smaller and smaller because it's like a little tight circle on itself, kind exactly. of exactly. But you know? you know what? It's really I really it's not. I think things should be authentic and natural to you. They should feel good and yeah. feel right to do because uh, some of my favorite songs in the world are two chords. And That's right. That's right. They, uh, you know, are very simple and it's all about that melody and that way yeah. it makes you feel. It's the mood. I have a couple of weird key changes in a couple of my songs that. Well, Girls I, from California. Girls has from California was really a prime example. It's like, how do you get back to the verse again after that <laughs> which know. don't you love that moment in a, in a writing right. session you're like whoa when okay, did we go we were there okay we how do we get here we're up there's the a lot of cor- there's a lot of silence and staring at the keyboard and guitar with the- <laughs> 
Just okay. total silence. And okay. when somebody has that clever, you know, it wasn't me that figured that out musically. And it was like, I was just like singing a melody going, can you just make that happen underneath? Like, can <laughs> you just make but it see, so? Here's, here's like, the genius. This is your genius though, Lucy. And this is what shines through is that your brain. And this is the thing about key changes and melodies like that is you have to have the equipment in your brain that wants to hear a melody that needs to keep, you know what I mean? That, yes, that, yeah. that the key change is a part of. And so I think it just speaks to your, you know, the library of stuff you have in your brain. So it makes me want to ask you this question too, like, cause not only are you such a prolific artist and, and so good in your own right, but you do so much co-writing, you know, I do. you write, you know, you've, you've had songs cut by Reba, by Miranda Lambert, a billion other people. What does that look like difference wise between what you write for yourself and what you write with other people? Like how, is there a different approach? I don't know because I feel like on the, there's been a rare occasion with someone like Miranda, we were in the room with me, Miranda and Natalie Hemby writing Smoking Jacket. And we wrote a few things, but that was, we knew that we wanted, Miranda was looking to write new songs for her record and she can write by herself. She doesn't really need anybody, but her and Hemby write a lot. And I was really lucky to get to write for the three of us. That was a very different scenario because I think actually what Hemby is so good at as well well is stepping back she has so much of her own artistry but she steps back and allows whatever is in the room to appear instead of yeah pushing right. it but she still has such a distinctive yeah. style that you can hear um when i'm writing with another artist i i try to do my best to say you know it's more a personal thing what is it on your mind how can i help you how can i encourage that what you're feeling um a lot of people like Trisha Yearwood or people that have cut my songs have cut them because I just wrote them. I think they maybe heard uh, Trisha had told me that there was something in them that she just liked. She just liked the, mm -hmm. the, the running theme in all of them. And those were personal moments where I just wrote something that was personal to me. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing that I find, and I know that you would understand this and agree with this and feel this, I would expect, but when you're writing purely for yourself, it doesn't have to be anything. And there is so much freedom in that. It doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to make sense to any. And often, especially in country music, there is a very, it's, it's so prolifically written, but sometimes I want to go off that, even that grid, you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's chronologically brilliant. Everything makes perfect sense goes yeah, into, and my head does not make sense. And my head is not logical and my head is not rational all the time. And when that comes out in a song, I actually celebrate it more than anything. I love it. Cause yeah. I know it's me coming out in that song. I know it doesn't, it's, it's not perfectly put together. Well, I think that's what, to your point about with Trisha, I call her Trish, sweet Trish, but, Trish. <laughs> but you know, that's what she hears because she's yeah. so used to really well-written, you know, mildly formulaic songs that are incredible. They're yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredibly well-written. Yeah. But then she hears something that's so heartfelt and unique. Right. And I think that's that's something in Nashville to get celebrated too. Oh, okay, so you. tell me about hot take two. I can't okay. believe key changes, by the way. Hot, I know Welcome. that is bonkers. Hot take two. Okay, so the second one is one chord. This is the opposite to any of that. Chain of Fools. Oh, look at you with the theme. Chain Chain of Fools is one chord. Isn't it? Aretha Franklin? I mean, basically. Then, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a if you think yeah. about it, it's one chord. She's she's it's you're not really yeah you're you're kind of right because what's changing is sort of the baseline the baseline so i guess maybe that 
does change code, but it doesn't really. It can, but but well, and what what you could very fairly say is that you don't have to change. You could just vamp. You could vamp, and her voice is being oh. it's so dynamic, and it's so it's she's going right up there, and she's and and yet it's the lyric is so punchy and so memorable that mm. that's all it needs, and it's like and even if it's two chords, like even if it's arguably two chords, it's like. That keeps you interested, and it's one of the staples of our gener- of generations. And it's like, how can that? And we sit there trying to think of what clever thing can I do on the piano? Like we were talking about with key changes, how can I be something different? And then this song comes along, like a, a, a punch in the face, like, hey, we can do it like this, and we don't need to do anything. And it's so clever, and it's like the simplicity of it blo- blows me away. And it's yeah, that's that's what kind of blows my mind. That well, and watch, watch what I do here. Watch what I do here, Luz. Follow me. So we talk about Aretha, one of the greatest singers of all time. Yes. Tell me about what it's like singing like you do, because, again, I say this every time we talk and I'll say this throughout the rest of this podcast. But you being the singer you are, um, how does that affect um, how you approach songwriting? Like because you've got such a dynamic instrument where i think a lot of us who can't sing quite like you can we're dealing with six colors in our little crayola box you've got you know 120 (laughs) and so is that is that something that can limit you does it free you does it does it make it better work i'm sure all of those things but can you just kind of speak to what it's like being able to sing like you can and then also trying to write around that not much which maybe be Sex, which is terrible to ask two questions once, but my other question would be: It's got to be a nightmare for co-writing with you with artists because I can't imagine what someone sitting in the room starts hearing you singing. And Do you know like, what? I don't so appreciate that. I mean, I don't feel that way about my own voice, but I, I I appreciate that so much. I think. Do you know what? I think it can. I think if you grow up as a singer predominantly, which I did, I songwriting came later than singing. Even though I was mm. writing songs since I was like ten years old terrible songs but it was but i was singing first so i wanted to be a singer that's what yeah, i wanted yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that um can be to your detriment well number one i think the way songwriters do so well that their main thing isn't that they want to be a singer it's i went really croaky when i said that I was that was like, exciting main thing. <laughs> um like brucey silvers in the building hello um <laughs> shocking um Brucey uh, Silva's just d- killed me. I mean, I didn't. I got that nickname for re- me and Natalie Hemby are two croaky, croaky, deep voices. Um, but no, it can be, you know, songwriters do so well because they're not relying on their voice. They're relying mm. on the strongest melody possible. And if you can't sing and you're tone deaf and you sing a melody and the other person's like, wow, mm. you must have hit a home run on that mm. if it's coming across. Um, so I think you have to be careful not to fall back on that. Um, Mm. One really interesting thing when it comes to my own songwriting that happened is that I, somewhere in my career, got nodules in my voice and I'd been over singing, maybe partying too much, staying up too late, talking too much. um, And I got a real problem with my voice somewhere within the past 15 years. And it kind of changed my range a little bit. I've still got a decent range, but I'd, it, it was bigger before and it changed my voice. It changed the way I sing. I used to just belt out without any real, you know, thought for the consequences and, um, and who was listening. Um, and then it changed and I, it made me write songs differently. I couldn't rely on just singing 
what I thought would be impressive notes because, and it, it really did make me want to sing more emotionally than technically. Mm. And when you rely on the emotion of something, it's all about the emotion of the song. You can sing a million things and, you know, people that like Carol King was a prime example. She did, she wasn't necessarily Aretha Franklin. She used to convey such amazing emotion. She had such a unique tone in her voice, but somebody that writes songs for someone like Aretha Franklin and then sings her own music. It was simple. It wasn't like a wham, bam, show stopping voice. It was just a beautiful tone singing great, great songs. And that's what I've wanted to be in my, my latter part of my career was, I wanted to learn to be a great songwriter. I wanted it to all be about the song and then the bonus be a voice that conveys it in the best way possible. And, you know, that's more important to me. And um, technically there are singers out there that can sing circles around anything I could dream of doing. And uh, all I want is to to just convey a song in the most real, simple emotional way possible that's all which is amazing because it's i mean this is a weird thing to say out loud but i feel like so many times people that can sing as well as you can sing believe it or not don't actually communicate that well because you can lean back on this you know this ammunition that you have to create such an amazing vocal moment right you forget that really all were anybody from tom waits to to Joni Mitchell, to you, to Aretha, to whoever, the type of voices, all you're really trying to do is communicate. Something. Communicate. Like Cindy Lauper, Joni Marshall, all these people right. that had That's such right. unique qualities in their voices. And they just, you can't imagine anybody else singing those songs. That's right. That's and right. then there's voices I'm impressed by. I go, wow, I'm so mm-hmm. impressed. It's like an athlete. It's like, wow, how could they, yeah. how did they pole vault like that? How did they, how did they have the strength and lung pat and everything to do that? And then there's somebody that can't do any of that where it just hits me in the heart and i don't Uh, even know that's something you can't even learn you can't even you you cannot train to be emotionally that good it's just natural it's just from within so yeah yeah um all right hot take three give it to me hot take three okay shoot hang on lost my lost my train of thoughts here (laughs) um okay so uh jack white take me with you when you go this is a really strange one. It's like I'm listening one day and I'm like, think I know where I'm at, you know, and then two minutes in, there's the craziest tempo change. It's like he's, it's like he recorded two songs in the studio and just decided to put them together. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a bonkers. And I was kind of like, I love the why of things. It's like, why, why did he do it? And he's like, why not? I don't that's care. Exactly I don't right. play by your rules. And that's what I love about it. He is the, pro- you know, what, another prime example of an artist who has his own set of rules. He's in his own playground. He's mm-hmm. doing exactly what he wants. And I really, really, really admire that. And it's, it's crazy. It feels like, wait, was he just like drinking a beer and then it got 10 <laughs> beers in and then off to the radio. Here we go. Whoa, hold on. Hold on tight. Here we go. And it's, it's- just, it's really cool. Do, do, one of the dangers for me when I started, you know, I, I, I kind of call it in quotes, you know, professional songwriting when, you know, uh, five or six years ago when I started really like, you know, I signed my co-pub deal in Nashville and, and that now, you know, that's been a part of my career too, is writing songs for other people. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest disciplines that I have is that is to remember there aren't rules because it's so hard to sit in a room with other professionals and it's not as hard by myself. And I I think you're probably the same when you are writing for yourself, you're like, let's chuck everything out the window and just have some fun and see what happens. But I think, I think it's hard for me to remember that there aren't rules. And 
in those kind of songs, you know, I, I laughed about this with Lionel Richie's Say You Say Me, the bridge. Right. Yeah. You're like, what the heck? Absolutely. It's it's like it just suddenly they just decided again that you know Fleetwood uh Fleetwood Mac um chain. It's like all of a sudden this is a whole ending. It's like Yeah, here we go. Wow, okay, what I just wish I'd been there. I want to be there in that moment in the studio for these moments where they decide. And you know, it's part of that fun, creative process while it was the why not moment. That's exactly right. You know, I think you're just following your intuition and your heart. There's no brain. Absolutely. It is like, you know, be I got this lick and we could just shove it into the back of this song. Or we could, what if we just, I like what you were just playing. Let's just make that be the back half of the song. You know, yes. there's no like, well, you know, we can't really... And that is to me one of the hardest things about what we do in in making music is this really fine line you walk of wanting to do something that's digestible. Yeah. That people understand. So you don't want to not leave them breadcrumbs to where you're going. Right. You know what I mean? You always want people to kind of, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I see that. Okay. But you also want to go with what you just feel. Absolutely. Like you just feel it. You're like, I don't know why we're going to speed up 20 BPM, but God, doesn't it feel good? Exactly. You know, and I have to really watch that thing in me that's like, no, hold on. Pull it back. No, you can't. And I think that's the art of being an artist and a songwriter for other people. We've talked about that. You and me, when we've hung out before is there is, there is an art to it because you, yeah. you, you figure out very quickly in the room when there's room for that. And when there isn't, that's right. that's and it's well okay said. because there's a beautiful simplicity to just Going with the flow is something presents itself. And I think the hardest part about any of this is when it's things don't present themselves and you're clutching at things and you're like, where is it? Where? Because you know when there's a song in the air and it just takes you with it. And yeah. where days where it doesn't, that's when the questions come and you start asking what something should be. And that's the hardest thing, whether you yeah, are writing for yourself or with someone else. Um, but there is a freedom to it i never want to do something for the gratuitous i always want it to be natural and yeah. i think that's what i admired so much about people like the beach boys and and queen you know they they just had this way of doing things it's like how did you do something quite complicated that sounded so simple that millions and millions of people don't even know is, know is happening you know that's right they don't that's even right. know that's it's happening key. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you feel like, you know, so, so so for those who are listening, you're you're married to John Osborne of the Brothers Osborne, the one of the best country groups in the world. <laughs> who and I just want to brag on John for a second. I would argue in my top three to five favorite guitar players in Nashville. I oh, am obsessed with his guitar that. playing. But here's a fun fact about John incredible songwriter and an incredible singer and apparently an incredible artist, which painter which i only want to talk about how frustrating that is like that painted whatever this is a new no. thing i've seen too i've been married to him for years that's and so frustrating suddenly starts i know i'm like you're so annoying like how that is else? so annoying stay out of the kitchen that's my bed something for the rest like, of us. that's right <laughs> um, but, but so yeah. john is this incredibly talented guy you guys have been married now for five years we've been married for five yeah I even we didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> write that down. Um, but but you know, do, do, as we speak about being brave and musical journeys, and to our point about you know the uh, Jack White, do you feel like that? Like you know, being married to a guy who is such an incredible musician in his own right. You know, he's so good. He's so musical. 
what is that dynamic? I, I laugh to myself sometimes because I feel like, you know, you guys are like the next generation, Amy and Vince, where it's like, I just oh imagine y'all sit in your house and sing songs together. And he just is like, sing, play me a concert tonight, Luce. I'd love to hear you. Oh. Or you're like, John, just play guitar. You know, do, what what is that dynamic like? And do you think it informs how you make your own music separate from him? Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, we have fun together in that way. Like he, he is so many things like any artist is, you know, he's part of Brothers Osborne. He's also a guitar player that loves to play blues. He's also a songwriter that likes to write country music, but he's also a songwriter that just likes to write songs no matter mm. what they are. And I've written, um, we've had a couple of songs together, not many, but actually for this new record I'm writing, we've written a, a few together. Oh, I'm glad. And it's it's really like, it's fun because we do sit there and jam. And actually, that's what kind of brought us together. I remember, you know, it was something my mom used to sing summertime all the time to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Used to sing it to me to get me to sleep. And one time back in... The You're talking ch- about DJ Jazzy Jeff. Ja- exactly print. that. Yes. My mom. Oh, my God. The visual of my mom I love doing that. This is truly brilliant to me. Um, I think, um, you know... We I, we sat there and it was back when we lived in Midtown or I was visiting and living with him part time back in 2009. And he sat there and we sang and played. We still got a recording of me and him singing Summertime oh, and him playing. And it's a, it, it really connected us because he grew up listening to blues and so did I. And he loved blues players. I loved blues singers. And he I think we just... We are on the same wavelength with so many things. Um, I wish I was on a wavelength with the way he plays guitar. I mean, it's, it yeah, is boy. truly astounding. And I hate saying that as his wife. It feels Im- sort of I get embarrassed about it, but I do get blown away by watching him. And there is some things where I know he's thinking about it, but then something comes over him on stage where I almost see the kid. I see the kid that was... 15 just with a total dream of playing guitar and it, it it fills me with so much joy because i know that the music business is an is a navigation for everybody and it is for john and it and it is for every artist um but when he gets to just play and i know that his joy with playing with other artists and he's played with a lot of other artists um when he plays with me it feels like he's back to the freedom of just doing whatever. There are no set rules. And I think that Brothers Osborne has done an amazing job of bringing as much of that as humanly possible into their own music. They've done things that I've not seen anybody else do, which is whether it's in their videos or whether it's in their musical arrangements. They've done cool things that are not typical of country music. And um, I really love that about them and they're sort of sticking to their guns. And I think that John and I... um, definitely love to have fun experimenting and he's 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 influenced me a lot but he also says that he has seen a different way of songwriting because i grew up with a different way which was very melody driven more than it was lyric driven so it's kind of that as combined and we've learned from each other in that way well you said something really profound i mean i i I wrote this down i just think this is incredible like then then other you said and then other times i see the kid when he's playing and i think as a creative that is such a hard discipline when you're a professional and you've been doing something for decades yeah because you're just trying to get back there's a wonderful podcast and if you're listening to this 
you can stop this podcast to go listen to this one. But um, Andre 3000 is on Broken Record. And it's one of the most vulnerable. He and Rick Rubin talking about art, talk about artistry and success. And it is one of the most profound, vulnerable podcasts that I've ever heard. A conversation where Andre is just saying, all we're trying to do as artists is get back to the kid in his room in high school making music. Absolutely. Where nobody cared. Nobody heard it. And you're just, and I think when you say the, I see the kid, that's a reminder to me. Like I, I want to get that tattooed on my arm. So, oh, so, so give me, beautiful. give me, yeah. um, give me uh number four. What do we got? I'll take four. Okay. Um, we have got, um, okay. Uh, REM losing my religion. Um, mm. there's no chorus. I thought you were going to say that when you said that. Really? So it's just, and and listen, this isn't like, oh, wow, it's a revolution. It's just, it's just in pop music. It's, it is something when something's so big like that, it's just a stream of great melodies and lyrics. And there's the structure. It just keeps going like loads of verses and tags and the losing my religion tag. And I just, you know, that song is just so, I mean, it's so catchy. It's like, it's, one of that era of music where it's that had that cult following of, of REM mm-hmm. and the cranberries and all those kind of thing. It's just, I just remember within a world where we're taught um, that, you know, you have to have structure in a song. It has to be like, no, this is not, we have mm-hmm. a verse and we have a pre and we have a chorus and we have another verse sure. and a pre. It's just nice when it's a, such a simple, small detail, really. Mm-hmm. But it's all of a sudden, when I heard that song, it affected the way I looked at songwriting because I grew up listening to very traditional songwriting as a kid. And then I heard that, I was like, well, maybe we don't need a chorus. And it's like, it, or it's maybe crazy. Whole so you noticed that. Yeah. Did you, you, that's amazing. You had the wherewithal to notice that at that time. Well, because, you know, I was trying to learn. I was trying to think, you know, because you go into a room day in and day out. I started co writing really, really young. I was like 17, 18 when I started being meeting people and being put in a room by my publisher at the time. I'd been writing songs on my own till that point, which was great. But then I, th- I, f- I f- don't know how I fell into co-writing so easily. I found it really exciting to meet songwriters. It was more about meeting them and all their mm. discographies and ha- all these places they'd been and these adventures they'd had. And I was just excited to be in that room. But I remember then going in with my friend Howard New. Um, he was one of my early, early co-writers. Unfortunately, he passed away and it, you know, I miss him still so much because he was one of the first people that allowed me to be me didn't care what was going on in the charts, didn't care what the record label was saying, was just like, what do you want to write about? And what do you want to be? And so few people do that. They're like, we want a hit. I want to be in the hit parade. I want, you know, I don't want to be an album track. You know what I mean? It's like, I want, he just wanted to convey what I mean. And we wrote a song called Forget Me Not, and it didn't have a chorus. It just had verses and a bridge somewhere in there. And that was highly influenced by, you know, songs like Losing My Religion, whereas suddenly I just thought, well, no, I'm just going to write it how it should be. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be anything. And I think that's just a a, a little detail that might be unnoticeable to some people, or it feels like that song's just all chorus. It's just every chorus. Um, It just, songs should just be whatever they should be. It doesn't matter. And that's how you create something new. And that was new. That song was, was unique at the time. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, but the archetype of that to me is um, Last Goodbye by Jeff Buckley. He never uh, sings 
the same melody twice. Absolutely. If you listen to it, it'll blow your mind. It's, it's, um, yeah. Isn't that crazy? It, it is that? crazy. And he was such, I mean, what a special one of a kind. Um, and such a tragic story. Yeah. And yet it's like you, you listen to the way he sang and it was like he, he influenced so many people. You listen to Radiohead and you hear the influence of that kind of almost classical rock mm-hmm. apparatus. Mm-hmm. So much emotion in that voice. And it was I mean, how can someone be around like Jimi Hendrix for such a short time mm. and have such a, you know, profound. generational profound influence? Yeah. So, so hard left hand turn here. One of my favorite Lucy Silva's facts, fun facts, is your connection to Jamiroquai, who I. <laughs> yes. Will you please talk about Jamiroquai, who I love? I just remember we were somewhere, you and I, and you just flew past that. You're like, oh, that's when I was doing those shows. Or I was singing with Jamiroquai. And I was like, uh, okay. That sounds like I totally Hard did that stop. on purpose. Like- <laughs> Hard stop. Please tell me. Will you please talk about this? When was that? What a crazy story. When I, I can even it confuses me when I think about all my different chapters musically. You could look back on it and go, "Oh my goodness! Like, how are you still doing this? Like, this is like I'm, I'm exhausted." But at the same time, it's like then you look back at it in the positive way and you say, "Wow, this, this really had some musical turns and experiences." Right. And that came about a friend of mine, Charlie, who I'd written this, who I'd written some and recorded some of my first album with. He was a producer. He started off as an engineer, then a producer, then a you know co-write. And he was working with J.K. and Jay had um, who is Jamiroquai? Who is Jamiroquai? The band. Yeah. And um, I don't even know. Of course, you know he was huge in Europe and huge in Asia as well. And I didn't know what his positioning in America was. I know there's some people that hadn't even heard of him over here, um, but his music was. He's such a throwback, you know, funk. And it was it, the musicality of it is truly mind blowing, as you know. And um, his voice is amazing. As, a, as an artist, he was and still is one of a kind. His videos for virtual insanity. And yeah. he is. Um, he, he is a complete one of a kind. Um, and so he was working in the studio with Charlie. I had written a song. I was trying to figure out how to record a record. I was out of a record deal. I didn't have any backing or management or anything at that time and Charlie had always been amazing at encouraging me to keep going and say just make music just make music just write a song just record it it's not hard it's not rocket science just keep just do it he always had this sort of like just very laid back why 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 is it that hard type attitude and I really really appreciated that I need that around me I used to get into this woe is me catastrophizing that's over I'm never gonna do this and he'd start laughing and Charlie would be like you're an idiot and he'd he'd just like start laughing (laughs) we need those people we do because he'd laugh at me and I'd be annoyed that he was laughing at my emotions and then he'd be like just all right great get on with it let's go in the studio so English by the way so English just like not jumping on that sort of drama and I really appreciated that I wrote a song called Happy with Judy Zook and Graham Kearns one of my favorite songs from my album Letters to Ghosts so Happy was an earlier song than Letters to Ghosts uh, than that album but um such a fun song me and Charlie worked on it we got a few of the players that had worked with JK and because Charlie was working with JK in his studio in Hertfordshire he has this amazing studio at his house or one of his houses um just in Hertfordshire and all these players that had played in the band or played on sessions for JK came in and played on Happy but 
I got a phone call at four in the morning from Jay who had heard happy and he was freaking out about it. And I was freaking out. I didn't, don't think I heard a word he said. Cause I was like, JK is calling me on my phone. He is very famous and very <laughs> talented. And I don't know what's happening here. I was like lying in bed, half asleep in my parents' house, which is a whole nother story. I was like back at home, you know, with my suitcases and calling me at four in the morning. And then I remember my sister's baby Monty was in the other room and I, I had, to, she was fast asleep and I was taking care of him for the night. So I had Monty in my arms as a baby feeding him with JK on the phone, telling me how much he loved this song. He was going, this sounds like a mad lib. It was crazy. <laughs> it was, he was going on about the baseline, which was it was really cool because actually this guy Paul Turner, who's an amazing bass player, played drums on it. Had Ash Sohn play drums, who oh has played gosh. with incredible amount of artists. He's unbelievable. Amazing. I was so honored to have him play on that song, and I was just lucky because these people were just around and they played on some girl's song. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. And um, Jay kept going on about it, and then he was like, "You need to come into the studio and come and record some more songs." Yeah, come on, yeah, let's go. You know, we can start tomorrow and all this stuff. And I'm like completely overwhelmed at this phone call. Went on for about an hour, and then I called Charlie the next day, and I went, "You'll never guess that he could." Did you give him my number? He was like, "Yeah," and he went, "I went, did he mean that?" And he went, "I'm not sure that he <laughs> meant that you can really come to the studio because he might not have meant that." I was like, uh, I was like, I don't care. I was just happy with the phone call. He loved one of my yeah. songs. I was blown away by it. But sure enough, he was like, come on, come to my studio, record your songs there. And it turned into a production deal with Jay and he, he paid for it all. He, I mean, I remember, he was such an artist about it. He came in and wrote me a check and it was for a lot of money. And he was like, go do it. And his cancer's come in the next day. I'm like, I'll take that. Thank you. Just don't think so. Um, <laughs> he's like, that's not a real checkbook. Uh, I give that uh, to him not, and he thinks there's money you know, in it, but pretty, there's not. Because, and it's not like he was, you know, they were the boss, but he, you know, he was just being a crazy yeah, artist. Yeah. He just loved something and wanted to do it. And they were like, hang on a second here. And uh, But I did record um, a lot of songs in his studio, and those are some of the recordings you hear on Letters to Ghost because Happy is an original recording that's recorded amazing. at Jay's studio. And then, you know, I got another phone call asking if I wanted to tour with him. And so we went around the UK and toured. Um, and that was the most amazing experience. Of course, I was on stage, but really it wasn't about me at all. It was about watching him and watching him handle the amount of fame that he had. And also just an artist that was doing one, it, you know, because again, the artists that you follow that stick around have their own thing and they don't veer away from it. It And he didn't, he had a theme running through everything. He loved his kind of music and he just kept doing that. And his, the head, the headdresses that he had, oh, like amazing, amazing costumes he had on stage. I just had a lot of respect for him. And I think that he was a, you know, he's a crazy character. He's, his personality is very all over the place. It's very sort of high energy. And yet I think he just really appreciated what I was doing and, and liked it. And that gave me a lot of confidence, but he also helped me. And he, mm. when I wanted to put happy on letters to ghost, it was complicated legally because it was part of that deal, part of an independent thing I was doing for letters to ghost. 
and lawyers were involved and it got very complicated. And then I spoke to Jay and he was like, this is silly. It's like, that's your song. Mm, you know, you have that song. That. He was so kind to me. And like you said earlier about artists being advocates for other artists uh, with, from Gary to JK to you, to J to Brandy Carlisle. These are people mm. and, and Chris Stapleton. These are people who have, I Pretty fit much. in that hierarchy, by the way. That makes perfect sense you to do. be with those people. You, are one, you know, and you, when I met you, I think that's what reminded me. You, it seems like you had that influence there as well. You you love that kind of, you know, throwback music. But JK, I can hear that in some of yours mm. as well. And that's, yeah, yeah. it's I loved it so much. And I think that's what other artists, they've given me a reason to keep going. So, um, Well, you know, that, that, that to me, I think when I'll look back at my career, Someday when I'm old and gray um, <laughs> and living in a field by myself somewhere in Montana. Um, <laughs> I'll join you. Uh, yeah, please. We'll start a, we'll start a cult. Um, <laughs> I think the things that I'm the most proud of are the moments where other artists rallied around what I did. I mean, I, uh -huh. I love doing what I do. I love that I've made a living of it. I love that I've been blessed to be able to do it. But I can't, I, the Ebenezer's of my life, the moments in my life that I remember the clearest and I have the most pride and, I, I find myself reminiscing the most about or when an artist that I respected saw me and said, Hey, I like what you're doing. I want to help in whatever way I can. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons I love Nashville is because you know, it still happens. You bump into somebody that at the, at the, and you, you know, bumped the gap. into Bonnie Raitt, right? In a coffee shop. Yeah. 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 It's unbelievable. That's, that's a story for another no, day. But, no, but honestly, but you know, that is, but, but I think, when does that I happen somewhere it else happen. than Nashville? And I think, and I think with you, that's one of the things I love about your story is, is, you know, you have so much of that. And I think to me, it's one of the things that validates what I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think I can think about a lot of things that you think people come to shows, you think about money you make from CDs or whatever. But to me, I think the most validating thing for me is other artists. It's not fans. It's when it's somebody that I respect. And I think your career is, the, is, is ripe with that. I mean, there are just so many moments in your career where artists have stepped in and gone, I will do whatever. And I mean, I, it's fun watching that even Nashville still happening. I mean, what happened with Brandy, you know, last year, the year before she had you come do the shows and she opened a new club. I mean, oh, it, it just, it speaks to, to how gifted you are and how much people love what you do, oh, um, I mean, which I hope you can realize that and celebrate. Thank that, you. you. I know? mean, I, it does mean a lot to me and, and Brandy was amazing. I think she, I'd been a fan of her for so long and for her to do that, kind of it's a head scratcher it's like how, how is this happening and john's such a huge fan too so it was blowing his mind and i yeah, think he was he was he was proud of that which made me feel proud and i do you know what there's two things about that what you said was very poignant because as an artist we gravitate to other artists who are following their dreams and not that someone like Brandy has never given up. She's so talented, but she's had mm. highs and lows and she's just kept at it. She didn't stop. She didn't have, she wasn't waiting for permission. And that's the biggest thing about an artist mm. keeps going. You don't wait for permission to make music. You just make it. And as artists, we look for that in other artists and they can keep us going. Like you've had experiences of, and I have, when it comes to fans, I think that, I think that we, those, the fans that I've had understood something about me that 
I didn't even know was there. And that's why they signed on. And I think you can easily even forget that as an artist. You can forget because something changes in your life. Something changes and takes you on a different path. And right. we're so the industry teaches us to look at what we haven't got and try and obtain it. That, that's right. And that's right. Then you forget. But wait a minute, my fans don't love me for what I haven't got. They they love me for what I have got. And then you get an, a confusing message that contradicts that from the industry of going, no, 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 you may have this radio station, we want the cool one. Or you've right. got the cool one, we want the mainstream one. And it's like, and you forget about what makes you you completely. Mm. And those fans, the people, it's like having friends. Like, don't concentrate on the people that don't like you. Concentrate on the people that yeah, love right. you, even when you're being an idiot. You know, right. so the fans the fans that love your music love it for a reason. And right. we forget that. And I think that that is just as important as yeah. looking to other artists. Yeah, that's a good, look at you preaching. So well, that, that, this, anyway. is the big, this is the big conclusion here, Luz. This, okay. is, this, is, number, this is number five. What do you got? Hot take five. Okay. I've got, well, it's another, um, it's a really weird one. I don't know. I'll, I'll celebrate it's a these. lyric one. It's like, so I don't know if this is a hot take, but there's a band, do you know, prefab sprout? I know the name and I've got some in my yard. The weird, <laughs> Russell sprout. I said Russell sprout. Okay. That's, that's a guy that I met once in the post office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yes another that's there's so many there's so many chapters we could go down um prefrap spout is british band i think they're british um they have a song called the king of rock and roll and the chorus says hot dog jumping frog albuquerque i mean it's like okay uh <laughs> what's was happening and i remember it came as one of the catchiest pop songs it's like it's a hot dog that. jumping frog albuquerque and it's like it's the weirdest and they're talking about i think the song is about a washed up rock and roll star that kind of had his day and i still cannot make any sense of those lyrics and and yet you listen to it and sing along you just accept it it's like you just, you just, you just, that's fine. Hot dog, jumping frog. It's like when you hear, you know, a new pop song, you hear a Rihanna song and you're like, well, it's like, I, I don't know, but it's, it's great. It works. It, it, it's, they, they show you their ID as they're getting into the club and you look at it and you're like, yeah, somehow you can get in. I don't know why you're not supposed cool. to be here. I can't recognize your face, but just go just in. Just go it's in. Like, it's fine. Free entry. Um, yeah. But it's such a weird, and if you, you should check out that song, Prefab Sprout, the King of Rock and Roll. It is so catchy and silly. And even they know it's daft. Like they, they even, they're like, this is a daft song. But I bet they had so much fun writing it and it was a huge hit for them. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and so uh, it's, I mean, you have volleyed so many volleys to me during these five hot takes because I've actually talked about this. I talked about it with Red Hot Chili Peppers. You remember the song? I know it from the Conehead soundtrack, but it was a huge hit. Um, uh, then I'm a note, Soul to Squeeze. Where yes, I go, yes. I just don't know. I mean, there's a part of the song where he literally goes, Mama don't dang the sang the bone. Mama don't the song to gone with. It was a number one and alternative oh, wow. adult alternative number one, and there is gibberish. It's not even words. It's literally just gibberish, and it's again. Y y you made this point before. 
you know, why does that, why, why does that work? And why am I, as he sings it, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, absolutely. It's like, they're not even (laughs) trying to be cryptic about those words. They put hot dog, jumping frog, Albuquerque in a chorus. They're not trying to be like, I'm going to create some atmosphere when they're going to try to work out these words. Like, you know, in Bonnie Vare, it's like you listen to some of his songs and, you know, there was that brilliant SNL skit where, you know, they do that skit where, um, Beyonce and Jay-Z have a baby and everyone's coming to visit. Oh my god. And Beyonce is one of the guests. And Jay-Z goes, Did he say don't be a muckle? It's like, what's <laughs> what's he saying? And it's like, I it's like I listen to Bonnie Vera and I'm listening and I'm going, I don't know what those words were, but I feel you're right. But absolutely I, I should do that. That's are. what life is that's happening. Well, so here here it. is what I wonder. It's a, yeah, I thought you were gonna talk about the Dana Carvey Chopin Buckley. Yeah. Uh, SNL skit, which is the same thing. <laughs> but here's here's what I wonder. This is what I pontificate with that point. Is I wonder if it if it does this thing in songwriting where you realize you can't focus on that, so you just focus on everything else. So right. it's kind of like this, it's sort of smoke and mirrors because it's like the singer or the songwriter is going, no, no, this is not the thing to look at right now. <laughs> yeah. And you just, as a, as a receiver, you're like, yeah, I'm fine with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Because the rest is, and it's very singable and I don't really care if you're not, I just know now I'm going to listen to the guitar. I'm going to listen to the melody. I'm going to listen to the drum. And so to me, and, and I think globally, what I love about it is that it just proves that music serves a million reasons in a million different ways. Absolutely. You know, it like serves all these purposes and, and you don't need some songs. You don't care. Who cares what you're saying? I just love how it feels. Other songs. I don't care that I don't love this melody because the lyrics are so poignant. Uh, Sometimes like this guy's the worst singer in the world, but my gosh, I understand the pain in his life, you know? So, so it's, that's why I think music is always so intoxicating to me is because it just is so, it's got so many, many ways to do what it does yeah that um that that you're fine with that you're ultimately like yeah that's cool yeah because it's 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 art and i've always and you can't control how people receive these things that's why i always thought about when you think about awards it's like how do you even how is there even a winner how is there not a winner you know how can you compare art how can you say because sometimes it's based obviously things in this industry are based on success but sometimes it's just based on artistic value or you know the the quality of the music that the, the grammys for example is such a wide range of reasons and right. yet how do you decide it's like and because like you say everybody receives it i mean i remember meeting my sister nikki listening to a song on letters to ghost she was like what's that one i love you know that disney sounding one i went none of them and she's like <laughs> And she heard, she heard, I mean, I love Disney songs. It's some of my favorite on the planet. Right, right, right. But um, and now all I'm trying to write is a dream is a wish. You know, I'm like, yes, you know, yes. all I want to do is write that song. Um, but you know, the way people hear things, she's hearing mm. it in a way that's just that's how her ears receive it. Yeah. And you know, when I hear an emotion, like I, you know, a lyric. I mean, that was just a funny lyric, which I'm sure makes perfect sense. And I'm probably not even receiving it right is how they right. intended it um but you know it's it's true the emotion there's so many reasons you hit onto a song which is why as an artist you want to go well 
what do I feel? You know, we've I've got 26 different personalities. I can't put them all on one album. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what am I feeling right now? What's the pause button in my life? What what do I yeah. want to make right now? And, yeah. and who wants to hear that emotion? And that depends that that's the dependent factor on why someone buys your music. Well, and two, and I'll say this finally. I think the other thing that's fascinating is it, there's so many songs growing up. I didn't know what the person was saying. Yeah. You know, every time you go, you take a piece of meat with you. And I'm like, <laughs> but yet I didn't, I didn't, I was like, I don't care if that is it's what fine. he's saying. I just love this song. Exactly. And so it doesn't deter from what the purpose is, which is interesting. Yeah. And Liz, Man in the are, Mirror, clear when he says no message could have been any clearer. I'm, it is, I mean, that's the lyric, right? And that is obviously the lyric. And yet when yeah. I was 10, I was like, no message could have been any clipper. It's like clipper, 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 clipper. And my mom was like, "What's clipper?" And I went, "I don't know, but that's what he's saying." You know, it's like I'm like, okay. and yet it doesn't deter you from enjoying. No, that I song. just loved it. And he's like all these sounds and songs that you know, lyrics that he had. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I love it. So, Luce, you are a legend. You are a legend. Thank you for doing Thank this. Thank you so much. There's so You're many the we could do, but obviously it's not 10 hot takes. We'll do, we'll do a continued. A continued, we'll but I love this. I love, you know, geeking out, if that's what we're doing. That's all it is. Uh, over music. It's so much fun. It's, it's so inspiring. It makes you want to just go write a song immediately. And uh, thank you for having me do this. Yeah, thanks for geeking out with me. I love it. Anytime. These five hot takes. Yeah.